All right, Red Shoes Living Community. Well, it's Lonnie back for the podcast, and we have been away for about four weeks, and we've had a number of you reaching back out and saying, where did you go? We've been busy, but it's been a good busy, but we, uh, we heard you. We're back. We're going to be consistently coming back to you on a weekly basis, and to kick off this hiatus, if you will, on the new podcast, I have a very special guest that I'm really excited that she's with us today, and I've had the chance to spend some time with her and her family We've done a little bit of work together, and you're going to love her. Her name is Courtney Banghart, and Courtney Banghart is the head women's basketball coach of Princeton, and she is uh, absolutely a winner at every level, and more importantly, she is what I would call a red shoes human being, and I want to share her with you today and her story, and Courtney, welcome. I'm so glad to be here, Lonnie. Well, we're glad to have you there, and I know you're not one that brags, so I'm going to brag for you here for just a minute, but you've won six Ivy League titles at Princeton. I know you played at Dartmouth, and you had a, an incredible career there, and now you play against Dartmouth, so we want to talk a little bit about that. You were also named National Coach of the Year, which is a big deal, so we're going to get into that a little bit, and, and something that I find incredibly prestigious and, and honorable is you were named to Fortune's Top 50 leaders in the world. And there's names like the Pope and Tim Cook from Apple and all these amazing players or amazing people. And, and I think that's an incredible honor as well. So we're so glad to have you. And yeah, we'll, we'll have some stories to laugh about for sure. Yes, we will. <laughs> well, let me, let me start here. You know, as I got to know you and I've met you and I've done some homework on you, you have incredibly high standards for yourself. Yeah. And, and, I've, and I've watched the standards, you know, not only as a coach, a very successful coach, um, but also in your personal life, you have high standards. And I, I just want to start there. Talk to me about the world as you see it today and where standards fit in. You know, I think it was you who actually, when we met, had, you know, after some good dialogue, we had talked about the art of the possible. And I think you kind of came up with that phrase that I have now stolen and borrowed and, of course, copyrighted you every time. But um, I think that's sort of, A, how I'm wired and B, how I've evolved is that, you know, I, I think most about what's possible and, and the lifespan that we have is so indeterminate and it's, it's undefined. And, you know, the opportunity that we have on a daily basis to get the most out of it. I think that that probably is where my drive comes from is, is the finite nature of uh, what's in front of us and, and making sure that I can get every ounce that I can out of opportunities. Yeah, I love that. And you know, it, speaking of that, walk me through what's a morning routine look like for you? When you get up in the morning, where does it start? You know, it starts earlier than I'd like to admit because I've got three kids under the age of four. Um, and so it usually is a, is a, is a welcomed face about six inches from mine being like I'm hungry um, but I try to stay really present to the balance in my life which is the you know my dream team which is my own current nuclear family um, and they sort of get that first hour get them ready for school um, and get them off which can be loud and whatnot and then you know I, I take a moment and I'll have a cup of coffee and I'll do some sort of reading and some sort of sometimes that's off of just social media feed sometimes that's off a self you know a learning book and sometimes that's off of just a chapter book that, that you know, I've opened. Um, and that might be some days you only have time for 10 minutes and some days it might have more than 20. But um, just a, a separation from the chaos of the morning with kind of what's ahead. Um, and then typically some sort of workout, um, just physically getting myself ready for, um, for recognizing that so much of how I operate as a servant um, in terms of my servant leadership style and in my day is so is so not my own once I enter it and so I kind of protect that first those first three things family um, mind and body before I before I get going with everybody else you know I, I just to continue on this thread for a minute some of the work that I'm doing today uh, involves a lot of work with executives and leaders uh, leadership teams 
And we talk about what you're just describing there, health, mind, body, and soul, and really taking care of that. And I find that leaders with high standards, um, in many cases, run themselves into the ground because they are trying to show up as the best version of themselves. But it really does start with your health, doesn't it? No doubt. I think it also people, gone are the days where you're guarding your desk and you're, sh- you're proving how you're worth by time spent sitting. Um, and I think time is well spent investing. And investing is, is exhausting. And for me to be fully present to the challenges, to the people, to the interactions that my, that my day requires, um, it's just, it's insane and, and not okay to think that I can, that I can run myself into the ground and be the best I can for somebody else. Um, so, so absolutely. I think taking care of yourself, it's, it's, I think ultimately it was originally, it was seen as really soft and selfish. And I think as we've evolved to be multidimensional leaders, you find that it's absolutely critical and it's to be admired. More so. and, and how do you, so that being said, and knowing you put everything into everything that you do, when you come home at night, you know, do you have energy left over? Uh, so how do you, how do you roll back into, you know, your dream team as you, you said? Yeah. You know, I have a, we have a rule in our house. You can't walk into the house on the phone. Um, so much of the interactions that I have in my business is people oriented. And so you try to, I have a 10 or 12, 15 minute drive home every day. And that's, that's 15 minutes that I, I can't get back. So I'll use that time to make a connection either in the recruiting space or current team or staff or the professional development. Um, well, and I, we just have a rule that, that you don't walk into the, you don't do not walk into your house on the phone. You stay out of sight as long as you need to. But when you walk into the house, there's that, there's that welcome that's needed um, and that kind of separator, the barrier. Um, and so typically, uh, you know, I'll have to get right into bedtime, hopefully time for a, a, a quick meal. Um, you know, whether it's a blue apron or a fresh direct, something that can be homemade that we've made. Um, and then oftentimes there's a little bit more time for work towards the end of the night. But, um, you know, I think again, filling your cup and everyone does that differently. Some people, some people have their own rituals that are important to them. But for me being present for my family and, and not and just simple, something as simple as not walking into my house on the phone, it shows my family. I, I'm here for them. It's yeah, helpful for me. I love that. I love the awareness of that. And I think it, it's something that, one has to practice, right? You have to get in the groove and the, and the zone of that. So, so here's a question for you. You're at the top of your game, have been there for a long time. And, um, you know, who, who mentors you now? Where do you, outside of your family and the nourishment, yeah. the inspiration that they give you, but, yeah. you know, who are your mentors now? You know, I, I think about there's someone um, who runs women leaders in college sports named Patty Phillips, and and um, she's a different industry because she's an administrator. Um, but yeah, I think sometimes it's helpful to have people outside of industry that aren't in your daily grind, but are in your sort of sphere of of managing people and managing yourself. Um, so she's somebody. Um, I've got some. I've got a, you know a close personal friend from high school who. You know, she's kind of my picker-upper. She's totally, she's a teacher. She's totally outside of my industry, but she knows me. So you kind of have these buckets. You want the, the high achievers. You want the people that, that love you even if you rob a bank. You want the people that know nothing about your day-to-day. You want people in the industry who can sort through um, the, the trends. Um, and I think I do a good job having a, having a range of people that, um, that I seek out and, and um, take time for. Yeah, you know, so at best-in-class leaders today, are really focused on diversity, you know, diversity from the boardroom, diversity on executive teams all the way through the organization. And what I am finding out, the reason they're doing it is what you just described. It's, it's bringing fresh perspective from different areas of life because there's different experiences that leaders have. Yes. And, and that's one of the things that I noticed about you is you have a broad um, 
spectrum of leadership. And in fact, once in a while I meet a leader and I think, you know what, this individual could literally go into almost any organization or go to any team and by nature of who they are and their standards, make them better. Yeah. And I would say the same about you. And I, you know, having met you, you were charged with the task of getting two individuals on the same, on the same wavelength on a panel and given, you know, 20, 25 minutes to do it. And, you know, I left there saying, I need to learn about Red Shoes Living. I need to, I, just for my soul, I need to connect back with this guy and, and, and know that if I have a staffing question, if I have a life question, if I have a, you know, there'll be a time where I'll need to pick up that phone and say, Lonnie, I just need to use your I need to use your brain. It doesn't matter that you don't know how to run offense or defense the way that I want to do it. Um, but you do know people and you know challenges and you know, um, you know, you might get, I might get in a personal rut where I'm having a tough time finding the energy and, and sustain, or maybe I'm thinking about changing industry and what does that look like? And I think I've been really good at, at I've been fortunate to have met cross paths people like you and I don't let them go. You know, it yeah. doesn't mean I, doesn't mean they're a part of my weekly database, but they're, they're, they're in my sphere that I could say, you know, these are people that I, I'm, I know I'll need at some point And, Similarly, I'm, I'm available to those people as well. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, in, in doing some research on you, I see the people that show up for you, that show up at games and, and, you know, they're showing up for the team clearly as well and everything that you've done, but they love the fact that you are who you are. And I think the concept of showing up with leadership and being open, as you just described it, is how people rise, right? We don't have all the answers and all the ideas. And so when we open ourselves up to that, you know, people and allow people to come in and give us feedback and, you know, that's how we continue to climb. So here's a question related to that. Do you find that with your team, you know, and the teams that you've had in the past, do they teach you and what do you learn from them? How do, you, how do they make you better? You know, we just had an end of the year banquet last night where we were, we asked the seniors each speak about their journey. And I find that year to be, that, that night to be one of the most inspirational annually and also the most exhausting because I remember their journey and I'm reminded of it. Um, and do I learn without a doubt, you know, people are as different um, as they are, you know, they're so much more different than they are similar. So you don't get in a groove with people, right? You get in a groove with with your standards, you get in a groove with how you're, how much you're willing to authentically connect. You get in a groove with um, how much you're willing to work with other people. Um, and so every year, the people that I lead are so different, and and what motivates them, and what they're afraid of, and, and what they're willing. You know, so one of our players last night was talking about how she came in sort of at an Ivy League school from a different background, and sort of felt like there were so many layers that she needed to to have up to protect herself because in case she wasn't wasn't ready in case of what she wasn't able. Um, and as those layers were peeled away, um, she's grown into a very confident and self-assured and, and more have, have better world perspective. Um, and I think about peeling off those layers and I was a part of that, but really she was a part of, she, she did that because she trusted um, and she could, she, she could see that the authenticity of our, of our, of, of the way we operate makes room for everybody. Um, and so, yeah, I learn a lot every year that makes this industry and, and, and it's such a people business and coaching, but it makes every year very different. And it also, we want to, we want to be real on this podcast. Like it's hard being in a people industry because you're constantly adjusting to them maybe more than they're adjusting to you. Um, and you're also constantly the, the, the battle between um, the time resources that you're all, that we're all limited by with, your passion and compassion for the individual and you know, where is time limiting? Um, and so it's, it's been a, it's it, the journey of coaching is the journey of, of, um, of people peeling off their layers for a greater common good. And, and that's a daily exchange that is both inspiring and exhausting. 
Yeah. And it's one of the things I know you do really well. And in red shoes, we talk a lot about this, the standard of red shoes leadership and how exhausting it can be. Mm-hmm. I believe the most powerful form of leadership is one-on-one leadership. And mm-hmm. I know that you had a mentor. I think it was your high school coach that, that was focused on you uh, as an individual and growing you. And I'm sure all your coaches have been that way as well, but you do that now back to your team. Talk yeah. to me about that, that depth of one-on-one leadership and how far you go. And clearly when you're yeah. all in, it's exhausting. It is. Yeah. You know, I think it started back. I was fortunate I'm from a small state. I'm from the state of New Hampshire. So the fact that I can walk and chew gum, right. Puts, <laughs> puts me sort of at, on the varsity team. And so I had been playing with the older guys from a very young age. And so I really had to be independent because you're not paying attention to the, 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 the leading score is me as a freshman. The seniors aren't really worrying about me, right? They're worrying about their own playing time and their own, uh, what they're doing that night, which is very different for me socially when I'm you know, 12 or whatever it is. So I sort of had to have independent leadership. Um, and then I'm so competitive, as you know, Lonnie, that all the teams I've been on in order to win, all I care about is I'm going to need the best Lonnie. I need the best Courtney because I, they all are going to help us get to the common goal. And, and if, you, if you only talk about team, people can fall into their roles, whether they're a reserve or a starter. And, and that can be settling and also incredibly limiting. And so as a coach now, it does me no good to have my top group and my second group because the second group then has a limit. And so does your top group. And so we change up our teams every day in practice. So they're with and against different players. Um, and some people are getting more daily texts from me. Some are getting more um, incremental phone calls or some are getting more face-to-face personal time because that's what, that's what they need. Um, but yeah, I coach 14 individuals and as a result, we have a really, really good team. Yeah. So I'm smiling because I know how competitive you are. You're right. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. And, and, uh, and we talk about this quite a bit in leadership as well, but you're, there's a kindness to you that, mm-hmm. and a respect that people have for you where they don't want to let you down. And yeah. so a lot of times we get into these conversations, is it possible, possible to be kind and respectful and yet still competitive? And I say, yes. So talk to me about that. Yeah. You know, I would say that there's no one way to lead, but there's a, there's a pretty consistent heart that it is inside leaders. And, you know, I think the, I think servant leadership is the way it's always been. Um, it's just not always have those been the stories that have been shared um, or people have admitted that that's how they've operated. Um, and, you know, just servants, you either servant leadership almost feels like it's self-affirming and, and that you're giving yourself a pat on the back, but it's really what drives you, right? So what, what, what sustains you and what inspires you in me, somebody else's growth is what inspires me. Um, I've had my career. Once you do it right, once is enough. Right. And so I'm not really looking to relive my career. I'm looking to um, inspire other people. And that for me is what, what gives me a high is, is you reaching your max potential. Um, and I have a huge role in that. Um, and that's, that's what I love. So yeah, I think for me, it's, it's the, it's the thinking about others and the kindness is, is genuine. It's, it, 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 it's going to make you move a mountain. And when you move a mountain in, in some cosmic way, I'm, I'm moved as well. Yeah. You, you say something that I've heard you say before. I may not get this right, but it's um, we share and then we shoot. And oh. I've heard, I've heard you say that yeah. a few times to the team. Yeah. And, and I, I love, you know, you're talking about um, coming together as a team and share and pass, yeah. you know, and what have you, but then we have to take the shot. Yeah. You know, so yeah. T- I love it. Yeah. It, it means literally, you know, share the ball and, and then be willing to put it in the net. It also figuratively is 
um, we're not just singing kumbaya and the fact that we're a close team is enough. It's a competitive industry, right? It's a competitive world. And you can, doesn't mean you need to be mean and cutthroat because I'm not, as you know, you know me well, I'm not that way, but I'm results driven. And we don't want to hide behind like, be strong. We're, the goal is to win these games and it's okay that, that we do that. Um, and so part of it is share it and shoot it on a tangible kind of basketball level. And part of it is that um, the journey is to be shared because sometimes you're lifting up and sometimes you're, you're being lifted. Um, but it's also, we're shooting for it. And, yeah. and Princeton, we're doing, you know, we're doing special things at Princeton because we've, we've put our foot down that no one else is going to determine our endpoint. We are. Right. So I've talked to my children, you were, you were talking about yours about, um, you know, being competitive and, and at times I've watched my children through sports or school or, yeah. or dance <laughs> where, where they, they, they don't win, they lose and yeah. watch them have to deal with losing and they're, they're competitive as well. Yeah. And I tell them, I, you know, in business, it's the same thing, right? I, they're, they're on a daily basis. There are losses and, and there are wins. And yeah. So knowing, and again, here's my smile, but knowing how competitive you are yeah. when, when you don't achieve what you want to and when you lose, yeah. you know, how do you deal with that? I think I turned the page pretty quick. I, I was the kid in high school and in middle school that was throwing my tennis racket at state tournament games and maybe even using some four-letter words that, that, that weren't. So I wasn't always a good loser, so I, I think it's okay. But um, I think now if the day doesn't, if practice doesn't go as well as I would have liked, if I didn't. Um, if I didn't connect in the way that I wanted to, um, I just, I vow that that's over and, and tomorrow's a new day. And so I come in almost with a renewed sense of purpose. Um, I think I've, I think I have failed enough that I just, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't disable me and it, it doesn't hang on just like we were 30 and oh, as you know, in 2015. And that's when I had gotten the national coach of the year and the fortune 50 award and, and really had done things that, you know, they just probably won't be ever relived. Right. And, guess what? The next day we were O and O getting ready for the next year. Um, so as competitive as I am and as results driven as our industry is, um, it's, it's a part of who we are and the score will take care of itself if we do the other things well. And, and part of that is how you manage disappointment and setback. And, and as a leader, you have to practice what you preach. And if you talk about, ironically in sport, Lonnie, you have to, you're asking them to stretch themselves, but you're asking them to also always believe in the whole, right? Or you're asking them to, um, be willing to fail, but, but always strive to win. So there's all these complexities and uh, we just kind of have to stay in the moment with that. And part of what the moment is that is a quick, it's a quick, quick to forget. Yeah. Quick, and that being said, Courtney, do, does the team ever see the vulnerability of, you know, you as a leader and as a coach? Yeah, a lot. You know, I, I speak to them truly. Um, I, I don't, I call it coach speak. Um, and coach speak is saying what you read about in regurgitating. Um, that's, for me, I, I, I talk to them. And so, you know, before, before a certain practice or a certain game, I meet them where, where we are. So, you know, if it was at the day after the election or if it was, um, you know, a day after a loss or a day after a big win or a day when, you know, they were out the night before because of what was happening on campus, we just sort of say what it is um, and, and recognize that it's connected to our greater journey. And, um, but yeah, they've seen me vulnerable. They've, they've seen me, um, they've, they've seen me think that they, didn't reach what we wanted to on a day on a, on a, on a minute to minute basis. Um, I've had to ask them to stop, you know, we've I've kicked them out of practice uh, probably twice in my 11 year career, but um, they know that's not easy for me to do, but it's, you know, you, I think I, I'm not smart enough to, to do what I'm supposed to do or to say what I'm supposed to say. Um, I think I'm real enough to say what, 
what needs to be said. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's something that I've always gotten from you is you're straightforward. You know, what you, yeah. what you see is what you get. What I say yeah. is what I mean. And so you I mean, also do, do it with empathy, but it's, I just think people operate in clarity. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, as a, as a leader, whether it's board or not, it's, it's nice to know where we are. And if when we were, we were ranked, so we were getting ranked like 20th and then 18th and then 14th. And we had everyone from Bloomberg to, to the New York times. I mean, every day we had the news at news and TV at our, at our practices because they were following this 30, you know, ESPN, this, this journey. And we just, every, every week we started with, you know, I had on the big screen TV, I had whatever number we were. So it was 16th and I'd have a bit, you know, it would be embedded in this tiger head or in our shield or some sort of emblem. And then I would show them film of what kind of we wanted to work on moving forward. But it was a way of sort of saying it's out there. We're, we're really good. And we, we've got a huge street going and how great. Okay. Now let's talk about um, where we're going. And um, I think that the clarity of that, as opposed to sort of trying to stay away from it because it might, I, I don't operate like that pretty clear. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, in some respects, I think we live in a world that is a little more um, through rose colored glasses. People don't always want to know what the real deal is. Yeah. And, and I do believe in exactly what you said. Clarity is really important. Yeah. Letting people know exactly where they stand. And we talk about baseline and build, you know, if you, uh, as an athlete or as a leader, when you baseline yourself, in other words, where, where are my gaps, you know, and, and how can I fill those gaps? How can I continue to improve? Um, that's how you continue to rise. And I would, I would, believe that's been you know a key to your success because you you clearly established trust with your team and with other people yeah and then you know as you talked about already you get the inputs from other leaders to make you better yeah and, and you might not even you might even say this is hard for me to say but it's important that I say it right so I've, I've used that line or you know to a kid that's not playing very much you know you say gosh it I know this is hard. I can imagine the investment you're making and not getting the on the court minutes is hard. It's about perspective. If you're going to, if, if playing time's all you're here for, you're missing the journey, right? So yeah, the clarity and you know, the story I told you about how, so here we are 30 and 0 and, and needing to win an NCAA tournament game. So it only happened one time in IG league history on one inside. Um, and obviously if the 30 and 0 season turns into a non NCAA national tournament victory, you know, at some point it's like all this build up for like, Oh no. So it almost, your record almost sets you back actually a few steps. And so it was a very, very important game. And ironically um, it was the first time a sitting president was at an NCAA tournament game. So here he is, you know, arriving that we're at university of Maryland, about 18,000 fans. And um, we're a lot of people are like, Oh, what's this Princeton team about? You know, we're 30 and 0 coming into the tournament and in walks the president about a, about a minute to go obviously with security and things it was important that he wasn't there forever before and he walks he enters from the other from the, the main door which is the other the opposing team is there and so here he is walking by behind that bench and like any sort of respectable normal human would do is is the opposing coach you know reach behind the bench to shake his hand to sort of obviously welcome and, and thank I'm sure or whatever some sort of pleasantry to the leader of the free world um a, a pretty connecting president at the time um and so now we're talking like 25 seconds to 20 seconds as he's walking closer to my bench and um, I coach his niece so you know not only just also a family connection you think I would be welcoming to that and but here we have you know, at about 30 seconds, my team starts to run towards the bench to, to, to you know, enter the beginning of the game and to, and to kind of give me a high five and sort of say we're there. We kind of have a touch as before the game. And so I felt really, you know, I felt conflicted for a second. Do I, do I, do I say hello to the president and shake his hand? I'm like, my only chance. But my team is coming soon. And if they look over and I'm, 
you know, smoothing with the president of the United States, how does that appear, right? And, and, and you know, the line that, that I had used going into the game was that we're going to dance with who got us here and, and who got us there were each other. And so kind of the idea of sticking with each other through whatever this variables are going to throw at us. And so I chose not to meet the president. So here I am following these, you know, the speaker tour after all that had happened. And everyone wants to know what was it like to, you know, meet the president at a first ever, you know, NCAA women's event. And I said, well, I, I didn't, I didn't meet the president, but my team won the game. So uh, that kind of speaks a little bit to the, the clarity of purpose that, that I think I've been consistent with. Uh, it's my favorite story. It's literally <laughs> one of my favorite stories you tell because it is such great leadership. And that was President Obama, of course. Yes, of course. That, yeah. uh, that was there. And yeah. in the team, I mean, you, you know, you think about in that moment, the team, you were there 100%. You were all in for them. All in, yeah. And, uh, and that's just, it's just amazing leadership. Now, you, you did have an opportunity, I think, to go to the White House, though. I did, yeah. We got to. Yeah, I think it was before then, actually, and we had gotten to go to the White House and do a, actually a private tour, um, and Michelle led it. And as a woman, um, obviously, you know, in that in the woman that she is and who she represents in that office, regardless of your politi your politics, um, if that's not a bucket list to be able to walk through the White House with with Michelle Obama as a as a woman, um, it was really special. And you know, she she's a Princeton alum. Um, and she's as real as they come. And as I would like to think that I can learn a lot from a leader like that. And um, that was really a, a really special experience for sure. Oh, that's great. You know, I know I've asked you this question in the past. Um, and I think people are getting a sense as they're listening to you and your style. But we talk about secret weapons. You know, every, every good leader has a number potentially of secret weapons. What are, what are your secret weapons? Um, I think the clarity. I, th I think people... People know where they stand. I think the um, I think my authenticity. Um, so I don't try to be perfect. I'm not I'm not memorized. I'm not um, I'm not routine. I'm not routinized. And every year is a little bit different. Um, I think I'm really present in an authentic way. Um, I think my ability to have empathy I think is very rare in, in our industry because it's so competitive. Um, I'm empathetic in the way that I communicate. I'm empathetic in my timing. I'm empathetic in my delivery, um, while still being clear. Um, but I think, you know, I, and I think with, I think I'm balanced actually. Um, and, and I'm okay saying that, which as a highly functioning leader, there are plenty of people listening to the podcast that are probably questioning, um, questioning, does that, is that soft? Um, and I think being balanced is actually a real source of strength that I've been able to, I think I appear like I have more energy than most. And it's because I'm, I'm pretty balanced in the way that I, I, I show up for people. Yeah. You know, I was in a conversation with some leaders last night at dinner. We were talking about gratitude yeah. that, that came up. And we were talking about all these, these great things that tend to happen to people that are grateful. And mm -hmm. the concept of making your world bigger because you're grateful for everything, the people that help you, the, you know, uh, the people that are prepared before the game and doing things that you don't even see, but you know in the moment when you see it, you go, oh, I'm so grateful that they did what they did. And then you've got the other side of that. You've got people that tend to be a little more ungrateful and their world becomes a little more small. And mm -hmm. it seems as if though the opportunities don't always come their way. Mm -hmm. What does gratitude mean to you? How does it show up for you? I love that you brought that up, Lonnie. It means everything. It's my favorite word in the English, in the English language. Um, and I think it, I think it contributes if you can put a little more gratitude into your, into your day, I think mental health is flows with it, you know? Um, and it's for people that don't naturally have gratitude. It's a skill um, that needs to be learned ASAP because um, 
I, I honestly think there is a ceiling for those that don't have gratitude. I think there's a ceiling in your own mental health. I think there's a ceiling in your performance. I think there's a ceiling in your interactions and in your, in your relationships. Um, and there's a ceiling in your own happiness, right? If, if I can't be grateful that, that here I was in Park City meeting you, learning about your industry, then I'm missing the moment. Right, that I'm missing the I'm missing the opportunities. I'm missing the connection, and so I think partly gratitude connects you to to your the way you show up and how present you are. Because there's so many things to be grateful for. So it's almost if if gratitude doesn't come natural, it means you're missing so many other things that are limiting you. That any other leadership development that you're doing is there's just a ceiling to it, um, and so. You know, it, you don't have to be any less competitive. You don't have to be any less real. You don't have to be any less successful to actually take in how, how grateful I am for people and opportunities and things, you know. Um, so I think it's one of those things that for you and I, who I think fortunately it's probably a bit more natural to us, um, it, it, I think there's something there, especially in Red Shoes Living, for you guys to help people who don't naturally dive in and live in the moment enough to be grateful for things that will, I think that's a huge leadership. Great to okay. Yeah. Do, you, do you think, and I appreciate everything you just said, and I, <clears throat> going back to last night, just the awareness of that, because we literally got into that, that conversation and we all agree that we, you know, we're very, very grateful. And I, you do have to sharpen that saw and practice that skill on a daily basis because there's days I'm, I'm ungrateful or I might not be having the best day but I'm aware of it. I've always said awareness is probably half the battle. If I'm unaware of it and I continue to march forward, then I'm going to take everybody that might be following me right down that same path. So awareness becomes a, a big part of it. What but I would ask you that, but I would ask you that, sorry to cut you off, but I would ask yeah. you, because I don't, I actually don't imagine that to be true, that there are days where you're not grateful, knowing you the way I do. I think maybe there's days that you haven't had a good day, but when I say grateful, I think Imagine if in that moment, that day where it's been personally, professionally, and energy has been below the level that you're used to. Um, and I called you. And I said, Lonnie, I have a question for you. I've got a staff thing. I've got a professional thing. I've got a personal thing. Um, no matter what you're doing, you would say, hey, I've got to finish what I'm doing. Give me 10 minutes. Or, yeah, hey, let me go grab a glass of wine. Let me sit down. Right? And if you are truly an ungrateful person, you look at it like press ignore. Or you say, hey, hey, Court, let me, um, so glad to hear from you. You know, give me a, let me get back to you when I can, right? And so I actually, I, th I think that is the crux of gratitude, is that you understand, and, 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 and I'll speak for myself, I understand how grateful I am to have people like you or to have, or to have someone else's trust. Yeah. That it, your bad day, it's, it's not about you anymore, right? So I actually, just for consistency of conversation, I think that, you're someone who I, I actually think gratitude is so embedded in that it makes you both more charismatic um, and and more um, more interesting because I do think it's so embedded in who you are. I, I appreciate what you just said. I feel like I have just been pulled out of the game and sat down on the bench and you just coached me through what I just said. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do that for a living. I, gotta, I don't like to walk. Why were you on the bench? Were you not performing? What's going on? No, I was, my standards all of a sudden were real low. So you brought me out. All right. So for a minute, your, your parents, um, yeah. I know have been a big, clearly a big part of your life and, yeah. you know, going back to when you were young and, and I think I've heard you say before that your first word was ball as opposed yeah. to mom or dad <laughs> yeah. and, but they, they instilled some standards in you, I'm sure that are still with you. And, and what, what, what were some of those standards? Hardworking, 
Yeah. I mean, we didn't pay for a landscaper and we had four acres. My dad was mowing the lawn. My mom was doing the gardens. Um, you know, you'd wake up at 10 in the morning like everybody else who's 15 years old or 11 in the morning and they've already, you know, done all the chores and they've already, um, you know, they just didn't live a sedentary life at all. It was about um, things needed to be done. My mom went back to work uh, when she had kids. Um, it, you know, I think that's that, that things don't get handed to you. Um, and they would never say that. My dad and mom weren't people that have really ever hugged me and said, I'm proud of you. Um, and that's, I don't know if that's a strength or a weakness, nor have they said how important hard work is. They just, they, they let it, right? And um, they cared about academic performance. When I was making my college decision, um, my mom wasn't allowed to go to an Ivy League school because she had to go to a single gender, all girl. She was the valedictorian of her high school. And, and my dad didn't get into the Ivy League. And so for him, my athletic talent was just going to give me an opportunity to go to the Ivy League and nothing else mattered. Um, academics was always their priority. Um, so I think their consistency in messaging um, and the, um, it was just, they weren't the parents that asked, you know, and I, they were fortunate. We had a lot of athletic success in our family and they just, just didn't matter to them. It was about bigger picture always. Um, and so you kind of checked your ego at the door in our house. Um, you know, it was how you treated other people. Um, it was almost like, who'd you help? You know, that was always critical to my parents. You know, it was never, and people would celebrate us to them and they just, they just didn't, it wasn't that they discounted it. They just, it wasn't what, what drove them, which is so different, I think, than, than so many parents who have highly athletic kids. It's look at us and look at them. And that's just not how they were. Yeah. We live, we live in a world, uh, unfortunately, in some respects that is all look at me. And yes. it's one of the things uh, as many things that I was drawn to you with, cause you're not that way. And I, I go back to this fortune, you know, top 50 leaders in the world yeah. and who's on that list. You know, I actually yeah. went and looked at the list and, <laughs> and, and it's incredible. And so uh, on ego, how do you, cause you were there, you received an award. I'm sure you gave, you gave a speech. Yep. So maybe, maybe talk about that, what that was like. And then how do you, how do you keep the ego in check as you come out of that? It was unbelievable. So I got, um, I got the call from the, the magazine editor and I thought it was a college friend playing a joke on me. So I responded as if it was a college friend playing a joke on me. And I was in the car with my other, one of my assistants because we had come back from a recruiting trip. So, you know, we hung up the phone and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I have a best friend. She's hilarious, um, et cetera. And then I, you know, my, my email gets to my phone and I have an email five minutes later that says, you know, gosh, that was, I've made this call, you know, 50 times. And that was that was by far the most engaging conversation. I'm, I'm hoping you'll be willing to speak at the dinner. I was like, oh my gosh, this is actually, that was for real, right? And so talk about, talk about being surprised. And so then, then you go to, well, they probably want, you know, a table and they'll charge everybody a thousand bucks and it's, you know, you're not allowed to invite anybody. So you go by yourself. Um, so here I go, I drive up to New York City, I go to the dinner and sitting right next to me. Oh, so before I even tell that story. So I had said, well, what should I talk about? And, um, you know, these people are going to be in this room that have, have such a wealth of experience and and she said well you know what about some advice that you've given and so of course I did what anyone who's, who's hopefully at least actively uh, trying to make a difference is you ask people you know hey what's the best advice you've ever gotten and you've ever gotten and you've ever gotten and that's the kind of question I would call you for and I would say hey, Lonnie I've got this speech coming up you know talk me through this and I found that um, the best advice I've ever been given I've actually not been given I've been I, I've I've learned by living. Um, and that was, so what I ended up speaking about was that, that life is about two things. One, who you are, and two, who you help. And um, I kind of explained that in, a, in an articulate way that, that that for me has been my life. Um, and 
um, it was well received, but right next to me before I spoke was Katie Couric, and she was not on the list, but she was an invited guest. And again, no one has any you know, family there or anything, so you don't know anybody. So right next to me, Katie Couric says, so what do you do? You know, we're very formally dressed and whatnot. I'm not wearing my typical Princeton outfit that I'm wearing currently. And um, I literally froze, and I said, oh, I, I, um, I work at Princeton. You know, I, I couldn't get myself to say I coach basketball. And she said, uh, oh, Princeton, what a beautiful place. Gosh, what, what do you do there? And I was like, oh, no, I was hoping I would avoid that question, right? And I said, well, actually, I coach basketball there, women's basketball there. And she said, all day? Is that all you do? I said, all day, all night, all, all year. Um, and then, you know, I, unbeknownst to her, you know, 15 minutes later, I'm the speaker at the dinner. So uh, a, a lot of really cool memories. And it's funny because someone asked me recently, you know, what did you, do you have a copy of the magazine? And I was like, oh, my God, good point. I, sh I hope. Um, and then I realized that my staff had, had made something for me for my office. But I actually don't even know if I have a copy of the magazine. So if any of you listeners out there have it, um, to talk about ego, it's just, obviously, I, I'm not even sure I have a copy of the magazine. So for me, it was a, it's one of, the, one of my great life highlights, and I'm, I'm really grateful for it. But um, life's about who you are and who you help. So it, it's not something that, I've, that I think about on a daily basis. It's such a great story. And I, you know, the, the audience listening in today doesn't have the, the advantage we do of seeing each other here on video. So yeah. I can see, as you're telling these stories, the authenticity and watching you kind of go back in time as you relive that, that it's, it's an amazing story. And it's exactly why you were picked amongst, you know, many, many things. So just for a minute, I want to come back to hard work as well, because yeah. there are those that say, you know, the new younger generation doesn't understand um, hard work. And I, I disagree. I think, I do think, you know, generations are different. And I think, you know, uh, my generation has a lot to learn. And that's my, my openness in terms of the younger generation. But yeah. hard work, talk to me about that, you mm -hmm. know, in terms of the new generation and the new teams that you get every year. Yeah, and I agree with you 100% on that, that, that this is not that to say that this generation doesn't know hard work is, is and we should look at ourselves and say we didn't, we're not leading the right way, right? Because we all are sort of our perspective comes from our current reality. Um, and so I look at it like what's hard work is managing your public persona of social media with who you actually are. What, what's hard work is managing relationships on a cell phone that I never had to do. You know, these kids are 15 years old and they've got 50 college coaches texting them on, you know, every day. They've got their own friends and then they have their friends that they have on social media. I mean, that's hard work is, is managing identity um, while you're still figuring out your perspective and your reality. So, um, and that's not, that's not physical hard work. It doesn't, doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's showing consistent work. Um, and so I think with that comes um, the uh, desire and perhaps lack of understanding on how to connect. Um, and so I think my, my commitment to connection has been, has allowed people to stretch. Um, and, and people are driven towards at least, I, th I think people of any, of any, of any background and of any location, they're driven toward connection. It's what makes people people, right? What makes it, what makes us people and not, you know, we have the, uh, the, I majored in neuroscience in college, right? We, we are, we are connection based beings. Um, and then hard work means that you, you, for me, hard work for my players is, is helping them show up and having them understand that you're all in to the moment. That might mean you're all into partying sometime. That's okay. But what you're doing, you're all in for. Um, and that's hard work. And I have to give them permission and I have to lead the way and I have to build connection so that they understand that social media is not hard work. Um, I mean, it's not being all in. It's hard work, but it's not being all in. Um, and, and that for me is, is where to say they don't know how to, they're not willing to hard work. I think it's are, are we teaching them how to be all in to what they're doing, given they have so many more distractions than either you or I had growing up?
Yeah. Is there one thing, and I know there's, there's many, so this is probably going to be a tough question, but is there one thing that you, you want to instill or leave your players with? And if, and if so, what is it? What is that one thing? Um, God, there's a lot, but, but one is that, um, it's something, it's something in the, in the family of perception. And that is limits are perceived. Limits are not actual. Um, and some people have to peel layers. Some have to value, some have to be okay with failure. Some have to embrace the potential of failure. Um, some have to push harder than they thought possible. Um, but for me, it's, it's having people really think about or having them come to grips and come to terms and come to realities with perceptions are external mm -hmm. and you are an internal human that has complete um, opportunity. Um, and that, that means we've got to shed some of those things that, 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 that create limits and that's, you know, perception and that's fear of failure and that's, um, and that's not being all in. Um, so I think that's part of it. I also think the value of team life is a team sport, Lonnie, you know that, um, and partly highly successful people to get to a place like Princeton, they've had to be on an Island, right? They've had to be, you know, stay in my lane take the hardest classes, succeed, which means sometimes I got to push other people down. And I think being a part of our program, you see that you don't need to do that. That your personal success does no way limit anybody else's. Um, and that life is a team sport and we go farther together um, than anybody goes along. Um, I think those, probably those two. So partly ironically, as I talked through it out loud with you, we hadn't prepared for this was the individual um, growth and art of, art of the possible to use one of your, your, your phrases with the understanding that life truly is a team sport and yeah. those two things. I love it. You're taking people with you and I, I'm going to, I'm going to put something on you here that is yeah. might be heavy to you or it might not be heavy and it might not be um, uh, new. Yeah. But listening to you in all my interactions with you and I'm thinking about those that are listening in. Um, and it's a very diverse group of leaders that listen in here. And um, it's, a, it's a superb community. It's people just like you. But how, how do we get more of you? And, and here's what I'm going to put on you someday. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know how busy you are. But beyond just the team and those that are closest to you, people need to hear your message. You're, you're a phenomenal leader. And whether that's a book or it's a podcast, but I'm literally sitting here spinning on people that I know, and some of them are family and you know, even my children wanting them to listen to, mm -hmm. you know, the last few minutes that we've just talked about. Have you thought about um, sharing what you do and who you are to more people? Well, I appreciate that. It means a lot coming from you. Um, ironically, I was talking to one of our great alums and one of our, you know, more lucrative donors, what, two nights ago. And and she was talking about what's next. And I was like, you, you want me to, you want me to leave Princeton, right? And she's like, no, God, no. But I mean, I just think there's, you know, I want, I want you to impact more people. Um, so I thought it's interesting that a couple of days later you say the same thing. Um, you know, and I think that's why you have across industry people. I mean, what you're doing at Red Shoes, you, you, you're having a, a broad, you have a breadth, right? And you have a broad um, perspective about impact and about the way in which people listen and learn. Um, and so I think it's going to be a combination of, of people in my life like you and others that, that have a sense on how to do that. Um, and, and I, I, I too want to, I want to make sure that my impact reaches those that can be impacted. And I speak a lot, as you know, and, and one of the things that I said, I was, I was getting ready for a speech that I'm giving later this month. And I said to the people, you know, all I care about is that people's time is well spent. 
And so I need to know more about who's there. You know, I just need to know more about their, uh, you don't need to help me come up with what to say. I just need to know the population. So, so yeah, I don't know. I think there, I think I've got a wealth of experience that I've been blessed to have. And I, I think I've got, got something to offer on a bigger scale and I've got to figure out what that is. And um, I'll put you to work someday to, to think through that for me. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Well, I like what you said about time well spent too, because you know, every time I've interacted with you, the value that I get you just listening to you, you know, is, is huge. You live your life with no regrets, don't you? I do. Yeah, I do. And that's not easy. I think it's easy to think about, look at, to look at anyone and say, yeah, but you don't have the same fear of failure or you don't have, you know what, your, your fall becomes bigger the higher you go, right? So the fall actually can kill you more than just give you a bruise. Um, and so to, to put your, if you're going to really respect somebody, you're not going to put your reality in their eyes. Um, and so I think we all have potential to have regret or potential to fail. Um, and to say somebody doesn't or, you know, well, they don't have as much to lose or they have too much to lose. You know, I think I'm, I'm normal like everybody else and I don't have regret and it doesn't mean I haven't failed or that I don't worry about worry that some did that. Will I ever get to 30 and 0 again? I don't know. You know, will it be a regret if I do or don't, you know, uh, no, I'm not going to choose to make any regrets. What, um, you know, what, I know we're, uh, coming up on the time here. Um, and I know people are going to hear more from you. So we're going to put some links in about you. And so people can follow you and we may have to come back and do a follow up because I can right. only imagine the feedback that we're going to get from people. Um, but there's, you know, there's people out there today that are traveling, they're, they're making big decisions. Yeah. Um, some, some confidence is being rocked because of changes that are happening in their environment. And, you yeah. know, so similar to what's the one thing you would advice you would give to the team. What about those that are listening in? What is the one thing that maybe you've learned, you know, in your career that you yeah. would share? What would be that one thing? I think the fact that change is inevitable, like change is, is going to happen every day in industry and, and in, um, on a micro and macro scale. Um, but progress isn't. And, um, the only person you really, you know, the only way that you're going to progress is taking care of you. Um, and you take care of you and, and care about how you, how you meet the day. Um, that's important. And so to not, to not try to be on top of the change, not try to, or not try to push down change, change is inevitable. It's going to happen in all industries and it's happening, um, up to the minute and, um, and, but progress isn't. And so just signing on for that, that you personally are going to progress, um, either in who you are or who you help and then yeah. the rest will take care of itself. I love that. I absolutely love it. Well, down to the last question. Yeah. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. <laughs> so in terms of red shoes, and I know, mm -hmm. you know, you understand the concept, you live it uh, professionally and personally, and you give back, you, you bring people with you, you know, everything that you've talked about today is completely red shoes. So you, you totally stand out for the positive. Um, but how does the concept show up for you? How is it more personal for you? You know, I think that you, you say the word positive. I mean, I think it's people, energy is, energy is transferable. Um, and, you know, you, 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 flow with, you flow with people that have energy in the, in the way in which you can connect with. And that energy has to be authentic. It has to be real. It has to be you. And it also arguably has to be positive. It has to be something people are, um, understand that they, it would be a positive experience to be linked to, a positive experience to jump on board. Because as a leader, you're asking people to follow you with, if, if, you, if you want to stretch, you're asking them to follow you with no endpoint and therefore no roadmap. 
So um, I love the, the way that every interaction with you, and I can tell that part of what you're doing on, on a business sales side is to almost bottle that, is to bottle the positivity of people and, and, how, to, and how that will, that will, that will make change in, in progress, as we talked about. So I think that mostly it's that you can call it a happy idiot if, you, if you'd like, or you can call it that um, recognizing with gratitude the positive nature that, that I bring every day because I'm, I'm grateful for, um, for what's ahead. Courtney, you're, you're an incredible human being first and then an incredible leader and everything else, you know, second and third. And I, I want to thank you for the time. And I want to share one more thing with you. And again, I'm going to put this back on you because I'm, I'm just sitting here shaking my head um, at, at how much I do appreciate the fact that you're here and sharing your message. The impact that you make with everybody that you come in contact with does have this, you know, butterfly effect, if you will. And if we could only see, you know, the, the, teammates that have played for you in the past, the impact that they're making in the world, and you probably have some idea of what they're doing. But if we could truly see all of that, we would realize how great you really are and what you've done. And I wanted to share that with you. And then here's putting the heavy back on you. There are little girls and little boys that are out there that need to hear more of this type of talk, especially within this noisy world. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to put it on you. I don't know how, but keep, keep yeah. doing what you're doing. Yeah. And before we sign off, anything else you want to share anything else from you? No, I think the podcast is a great way for, for, for you to share the value of connection. And that's what I try to impart on my own children when they get a little bit older, but also when, you know, I, I don't have my cell phone around them all the time. Um, but also with my current team is, is we've got to, there are so many special things and people in this world and all the other distractions are actually taking those connections and pulling them apart. Um, and something as simple as this one hour time together, I feel more connected to, to progress and to, and to, to life um, because of connection. So um, I just, I love that this is connecting different leaders across industry. Um, I get a lot from it and I hope that people get a lot from the connection that you and I were able to share today. Oh, they will indeed. Courtney, thanks for being you. My pleasure. You too, buddy. You have a great day today and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. All right. Take care. All right. You too, bud.